guesses either way. Um, so, so anyway, folks, we're live, everybody. Um, uh, welcome to Founders Focus episode 34. Um, I have to say I'm really, really pleased that we're bringing back this series um, on a weekly basis. Um, it's one of my favorite things to do, one of my favorite work things to do for sure, uh, to have conversations uh, with uh, recruitment technology entrepreneurs who have been so annoyed at something they've seen in recruitment uh, that they have thought, you know what, instead of complaining about it, I'm actually going to build a product and solve this problem. Um, and it's been fascinating to have this type of dialogue. If you go back in history of all of the uh, previous 33 episodes we've done, you will find that every entrepreneur has a different story, a different journey, even different characteristics, different behaviors. Uh, and I think it's really inspirational for all of us who uh, observe that and think, you know what, maybe one day you want to start a company or maybe you want to do something yourself uh, that is outside of, you know, directly being a salaried employee. There are many, many different types of people who've done this and many different ways to do it. Um, so um, welcome to the show, everybody. Uh, really pleased to see everybody. Um, today, um, I'm delighted to say um, I'm inviting on my great guest, who I don't actually know the title of anymore because we've got some, we got some like special news to announce as well. Um, but let's go with David Ravel. He is certainly the co-founder of a company called Path Motion. Uh, but I believe today was actually a big announcement and there's been some big brand changes and even a, a kind of a different role change for you as well, David. So welcome to the show. And let's start off with that. What has happened with Path Motion? What is going on? Good to be on the show, Hung, and thank you. Thank you for, for inviting me. So yeah, so big news today. Um, Motion is rebranding as Flinch. So that's um, extremely exciting uh, news. So Motion platform will actually be Clinch employee connections. And we're going to be part of a number of modules that Clinch uh, is offering to the market. So being able to add more value to our clients and customer um, is great news. And uh, yeah, I'm going to be leading um, Clinch for the European region. Um, which means I'm still going to be in charge of what used to be called Path Motion and is now called Employee Connections uh, on top of the other modules of Clinch that uh, we're going to push to the market. Fantastic stuff. So I that's the news. I saw the update two hours ago um, when you when you pushed the news out. So it's really great that we're able to kind of share with that celebration. So um, fantastic to see it. I'm a little bittersweet whenever I see an old brand like that. I used to have have some uh, you know positive engagement with kind of fold into another brand. Of course, I knew Clinch as well from previously, so it makes it easier that those two things are going together. Um, but in terms of how that works, um, I mean, from a CEO's perspective or a founder's perspective. Is there any emotional feeling that you have towards sort of the end of this brand and the start of the other? What's your what, what's your what's your thoughts on that, David? Of course, there's emotions, but they're all positive. They're positive also for the future. To be honest, uh, you know, if you take a step back, um, one of the reasons we decided to go and sell our business to the PageUp Group is because of the complementarities we saw with the clinch product. So mm. clinch and path motion are a natural fit. Uh, and hopefully we're going to cover that in more detail, maybe as we as the show goes along, along. But as you might know, clinch is essentially an intelligent uh, careers website uh, that uh, basically captures candidates data and does marketing automation, like uh, actually a number of players in the market. And path motion, um, now employee connections, brings the content to the clinch machine that can then be dispatched to the right people at the right time. Um, so Patmotion, as you know, is a platform where candidates can actually ask questions to employees, employees respond to the questions. That creates a lot of authentic uh, and unique content that is usually not available on Carrier's website. And so the kind of uh, wedding of both products makes a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, this is a very exciting time. We're in a full honeymoon period. and. Uh, looking forward of doing lots of uh, children together yeah that's well i mean absolutely i think there'll be uh for people who don't know by the way um path motion back so in to, the day to, to do to, yeah and hung to do the parallel it's like you know when you get married um you know 
I mean, now it's either the man or the woman will change their name, but they're still very excited about the future. And that's exactly how we feel. That's feel it. That's it. I mean, I think we, we let's continue with the marriage metaphor, man. We'll beat this one to absolute death uh, <laughs> to make sure we keep going. But what is interesting for the audience is that basically, uh, again, the path motion content is pretty unique because it is in kind of this, it's not marketing content. It's literally Q&A content that's produced um, by interaction from candidates and with the employees of that company. Um, so you can imagine if you're landing on a careers page and you're navigating around and the clinch product identifies you're interested in this type of thing, then they're going to serve you some interesting content from the employees themselves that are talking on this particular area. Think about how powerful that is. Um, if I'm a, a software developer, I'm on your careers page navigating around, I'm spending a lot of time on the back end type of jobs, whatever. Then I get served notifications. Hey, did you know the head of engineering is talking about this? Boom. Um, that is something I think is pretty unique in the market. So very, very powerful combo indeed. Um, David, um, let's um, kind of rewind back for a second um, because there is a, a kind of a moment um, for everybody's side of career when, you know, when you start off, uh, you know, where did the entrepreneurial uh, idea first emerge for you? Um, were you always going to be a person that was going to set up a business? Um, was this the journey that you had planned for yourself or did it just kind of happen as a result of just circumstance? I think it was always um, in my genes because my parents and my grandparents are all entrepreneurs. Uh, they didn't found tech businesses, but uh, they, they were self-employed basically. And, um, you know, I remember my grandfather telling me, uh, you know, better earn whatever one dollar for yourself than 10 for someone else. And it was kind of the, the philosophy of how, um, you know, I've been, uh, I've grown up, basically. So I always knew I wanted to set up my own business. Uh, I think I've always had the entrepreneurial fiber. Uh, and I nearly did it, you know, a few times before, you know, part motion. But I think I had a bit of uh, pressure to show that I could get the nice corporate job and that I could get the, you know, nice diploma. And once I had ticked those boxes, I was ready to to make the move. Um, so I used to be I used to be at the time. I remember working in um, in consulting with BCG in London. Uh, I was dating uh, my girlfriend at the time, which eventually became my wife. She's uh, she's based in, in Paris. Um, and if she's listening, uh, big kisses to her. Uh, I'm sure she's not, but never mind. Um, at least I can I can say I spoke about her, um, and um, anyways I'm diverting here. But uh, at the time she yeah we dated for two years. She was in Paris, I was in London, and she told me uh, you know times up. Either you come to Paris, either you come to Paris, or what it's gonna be, what it's gonna be. And obviously I chose to come to Paris. It was the time for me to quit my job um, and found Pat Motion uh, with uh, with a friend of mine. Um, and we, we basically tried to solve a problem that uh, kind of we experienced as candidates, right? I've, it's not really a problem that we experienced. It was more like, you know, as a candidate, I've always chosen places uh, I wanted to work at based on the people I met. People had a huge influence in me choosing to go somewhere. And I realized that when you speak to people in jobs, you really get a sense of what's really happening from within. Uh, I was very passionate about uh, giving uh, career advice to young people. And this is the advice also I gave to people. You know, I told them, go for coffee with someone in this company. If you're interested, you'll get a feeling of what it's really like to work there. And eventually realize that those young people didn't have the network to have access to those people. And that's how basically uh, the whole idea behind Pilot Motion uh, came about. And my co-founder had, had a very similar story. So... You know, at some point we decided to, you know, go for it. You know what? That that's is, is, is so insightful because the, when you talk, but this is obviously true to anybody who has looked for a job. Uh, you know, it, it's the people that matter most, um, and that information is simply not available. Usually, it's a marketing document or it's PR upfront 
or the, the recruiters and you know I'm, I'm not hammering recruiters in any way but recruiters have to present a particular image of a business and it's a you know it is not necessarily what the case is um when you arrive into the organization so um and they don't to... always have the they don't always have the information because they're not leaving the job day in day out it's tough for them to know you know why the tech team decided to shift from language a to language b right um, yep. So there's so much information they have available. And when you speak to people in the job, obviously, you know, they have the insights that's missing and they, they bring the credibility to it as well, obviously. And it increases the trust factor. If you're a candidate and you're looking for a brand, I mean, brands can be damaged in very easily online these days, as we've seen. Um, they could also be artificially inflated as being amazing, um, also very easily. Um, so you can't really trust that information that you see. Uh, you want to be able to interact with who's actually doing the job because they're more yeah. likely to give you what's going on. Um, and give you a sense, as you say, it's a visceral sense as to what the atmosphere is and how how working there is going to be like. Yeah, those um, are the authentic stories we promote so much. So it's funny, we did a, a study a few years back now with a leading neuroscientist. We wanted, so obviously we have KPIs to prove that it works, but it's a bit intangible, right? Employer branding, um, it's always kind of, you know, how do you measure success? How do you prove that? You know, you're impacting people and increasing conversion rates, which, which we're able to do today through the KPIs. But um, we wanted to show whether there's a scientific proof, whether, you know, there's something basically in your body that makes you react differently when you speak to real people in the job. And so we, we, we basically did a, a quite comprehensive study with a leading neuroscientist based in the US, where we had 70 students in his uh, lab um with um, and what we you measure basically is oxytocin release in the brain habits this is called like immersion levels and the students were spending one uh, hour on the website of one of our clients and one hour interacting with the employees online of that same client and basically what we found out is that when they interacted with real people their immersion levels were 20 percent higher so today we know scientifically that there's something in your body happening when you actually speak to real people versus reading institutional and corporate material, which is usually quite, you know, scripted and, and, and vague and, and, and not specific and less trustworthy, as you, as you mentioned. I love this research. Is it is it publicly available? I mean, uh, yeah, it is publicly it? available, and and the guy um, doing it is very interesting. He's got a TED talk. Actually, you you can Google him. He's called Paul Zak. Paul He's a Zach. Bit of a, yeah, Paul Zak, he's a, a storytelling guru. Um, so he usually works on the consumer side. So he's the guy who's going to assess, uh, you know, Coca-Cola's advertisement for the Super Bowl. You know, should I do ad A, ad B, ad C, what's going to work best? And um, it's quite fascinating because it's not always intuitive. Um, and for, you know, a few years we were quoting him and then we thought, okay, why don't we do a study with him on TA? See whether this whole concept of you know storytelling works in talent attraction so for two years we kind of bombarded him with emails i think at some point he just got tired of us and he's like okay, who are those guys kind of just bothering me uh, let me you know talk to them and uh, he liked the idea and very kindly he offered uh, his time uh, for free to do that uh, to conduct that uh, study with us and that's yes, amazing it's, it's on our website I would, I would love to check it out. If, if someone can pull this out and share it in the chat or in a thread somewhere, that, that would be amazing because I think people would love to see it. I really like getting into the biology of, of TA. You know, it's like we because we talk a lot about value. If you talk about all of these things that seem to make sense, but we, we struggle to evidentialize that in the sense that what is actually happening with the people? How do you actually know? Like we wish, we, we get the impression that that's the case, but if you can actually start measuring like the, the chemical content, uh, the biochemical sort of reactions that people are having in their brains as they're interacting with different things, that for me is rock solid evidence that this is a, a produces something totally different. And yeah, by the way, that's why so many um, consumer brands are investing into storytelling, right? We know it's more engaging. Uh, we know it's better remembered. We know it creates a, a relationship with the people telling you the story. So you really identify yourself with the people. 
And that's why in consumer marketing, you'll see a lot of kind of, uh, you know, storytelling used as a technique to convince people. And it's just adapting that technique into TA. And we do it in a certain ways. Obviously, there's different ways to do it. Um, but, you know, letting your people kind of participate in that, uh, in that exercise um, works really well. Well, this is the difference between just straight up storytelling, because that could be just a person in marketing writing a script, um, which is what's basically generally happening. But in this circumstance, it's actually the live interaction, probably on Zoom or something or some sort of call, right? Um, or maybe a telephone call or whatnot. But if that interaction basically is immersive. And that, that, by the way, is something we shouldn't forget. If you're speaking to a person in person, or, or you're, you're doing something that is clearly one-to-one, -one, then that is something that is very difficult to be distracted. If you are distracted, it's very rude. You know, if I started, uh, you know, they, uh, looking at my phone and stuff like this, you would get that, right? And you'd think, why am I, why am I applying 100% attention to this guy who's spending 80% attention? And you'll start zoning to 80%, and I'll start saying, you know, zoning, and you, you're eventually having a, a negative re reaction. So immersion is the yeah. Key. And, and, and maybe just to clarify, like the, the, the platform that we've uh, kind of developed is all about one to many. So obviously we listen to candidates. So that's also very important because it's funny how a lot of people speak, speak about the candidate experience, um, but no one really listens to them. Um, so, you know, we are all about saying, okay, why don't you listen to what your candidates want to know, let them ask the questions and then produce content based on that and once you've responded to those questions so it can be via text or video it can be live and not live we've got both we then make sure that the content being produced by the employees is disseminated across the recruitment channels of our clients so it's basically embedded into job descriptions into the career website it's seo optimized it's uh, easily shareable on social and we, we know today that the war for talent is really a war for content. So if you can basically build content um, that's unique and tempting, uh, you're going to differentiate yourself from, from the pack, basically. And this is really the concept that lies behind employee connections. Now, the beauty is that with the clinch machine, we are able to get lots more data about candidates, what they want, what they look, what's working, what's not working. And Clinch is fantastic in doing marketing automation and dispatching that content to the right people at the right time. And this is why the combination of both products um, makes so much uh, sense. Yeah, I, I totally can visualize this. I hope everyone listening to this can visualize it also um, because it is a very powerful machine. Obviously, it's going to take some time. The integration is something we should talk about in a minute. Um, but once it is purring, you can absolutely see the value for the end customer because you can start producing relatively cheap content, by the way. Uh, you know, when you're doing as and when, when you're answering a question, you're asking employees to answer a question, they don't necessarily need to have a huge amount of productization there. You simply have to re respond. That's easy content production, and but it's the most important content that is served to the 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 the, the uh, uh, candidates at the end of the day. I think this could also be applied very easily internally for a big organization as well. Um, so you know, right now we have big corporates. BCG, classic example. I'm sure there's a wiki in there. You can go and search for stuff, and it's a very text-based manual, drag institutional information out. Um, but wouldn't it be great if there's a way in which you could pitch a question in and then surface surface back like responses from other employees? Say, yeah, it's like this. Um, and then you, the overall intelligence of the organization just gets massively reinforced. Um, so I think where you guys are on right now is a very exciting path. It just opens up many more doors um, that uh, previously, were, you know, we didn't even see. We didn't even see that this was, as you say, uh, a problem. Um, David, going going way back, you mentioned, I love the fact that I didn't realize, but I love the fact that you come from like a family of entrepreneurs. Um, that seems to be, I wouldn't say it's a pattern, but it's one of those things where I think there's two things. Number one, there's maybe a genetic inheritance there, which can help, you know, the certain personality traits, but there's also the sense of an example. Uh, like you say, you, you had the advice from your grandfather. It seemed like a very important moment where you know, he pulled you to one side and said, David, uh, here's something you need to know. And it was like, boom. 
Lots of people who don't have the grandfather who's an entrepreneur would never have that conversation. So they'll, they'll, they may then follow a different path as a result of this. So I guess where I'm leading to here is um, how do you feel about this concept of providing, uh, it's kind of democratizing this sense of exposure of opportunity, exposure of advice, um, you know, making sure that everyone has the opportunity, uh, we equalize the opportunity a little bit more to get into new fields or to start new businesses and what have you. Do you feel that this is something that recruitment should should do? Or do you believe that that's something that, let's say, outside society needs to take responsibility of? Or would you say that's actually not an issue at all? Because, you know, different people are going to do different things and not everything is ever going to be equal. No, I mean, first of all, I don't think that it's because you come from a family of entrepreneurs that you should be an entrepreneur. I think that uh, at the end of the day, it goes back to the you know very basic sense of you should do something that you feel good about doing, right? You want to wake up in the morning and feel good about what you do, and it doesn't matter whether it's entrepreneurship, it's having a good job, it's uh, you know working in a charity, whatever it is, right? It, it doesn't matter. I think the ultimate goal. I mean, of life is to be happy. And obviously, you know, you need to be happy in your personal life, but professional life is taking a big part of, of your time and you should find something that just makes you happy, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. And whatever example you may have, because it's, uh, again, you shouldn't just follow what your parents tell you to do or what they did. Um, now, the truth is when I started, I think, you know, maybe entrepreneurship was a bit, a bit less democratized, but I think in the last five to 10 years, it, it has become nearly a, a hype and everyone needs to become an entrepreneur. And I don't think that's good either, right? I mean, mm. not everyone should be an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurship is hard, it's risky, it's painful. Um, it's done for a certain type of people, but it's not done for, for everyone. I don't think that recruitment per se has a kind of a, a duty to, you know, do anything around that it's as you say it's more society at large and i think that today you know we're nearly in over hype about entrepreneurs to, to be honest so um yeah that's very my interesting view on that. no and the democratization is, is being carried through technology isn't it like the ability to build products um obviously that's that's uh, since the the rise of web one uh, that's been an exponential decrease in terms of the amount of effort or resources required. And even further now, you look at things like generative AI that's emerging. Suddenly, that might be your marketing department, could be your sales department, could be whatever it might be. And then suddenly you realize, you know what, it's becoming easier and easier for a single person to launch something and DIY the whole thing. Um, and then you think that's okay for some people. But as you say, it requires certain types of traits or certain types of risk profiles that make sense. Um, and other types, it's not that, that and even life moments, right? Um, you know, it's, it's not the best idea, for instance, if you've got a load of dependencies around you to, for you to take a, a, a radical risk. Um, uh, that doesn't make sense if you're the safe option out there. Let's go down to the traits of entrepreneurship that you think you have, David. You look at yourself, a bit of self-awareness, you look yourself in the mirror, you think, okay, these are the things I do well as an entrepreneur. I'm going to ask you the question later, you know, uh, what are the things you don't do so well? Um, but let's do some, the strength side of it. Do you know what you do well as an entrepreneur and as a leader? And what are those things? That's a tough one. Um, you can say everything. <laughs> it's like, hey. <laughs> no, definitely not. Uh, far, far from it, actually. Um, but I think that uh, what I do well is that I'm tenacious. And I think it's probably a very important uh, character trait. Uh, I don't let go. Uh, uh, so I like to carry stuff until the, the end and, and make them happen, even if it's difficult. I can be beaten up many times and still kind of get back up. Um, and again, I think it's also a perspective I've learned from my family, my, my family, um, you know, went through the Second World War, they lost a lot of uh, people. Uh, and whenever I have a difficulty, I'm like, okay, you know, just take it easy. Like, you're healthy, you live in a country that's in peace, uh, at least for now. Um, and, you know, you shouldn't complain and just carry on and, and make it happen. Uh, so it's also that positive attitude. I think I'm very positive, generally speaking. Uh, I see always the upside, which 
you know, it's sometimes dangerous because you do sometimes stuff that you shouldn't be doing because you don't see the downside. Um, but that's another maybe character trait. And then uh, finally, I guess I, I um, care about people. I really enjoy spending time with my team. Uh, I, I genuinely care about them, their problems, their challenges, their happiness. And I think that helps in keeping a team aligned to you for a long period of time, uh, even if you go through important challenges. Yeah, really, really great advice. Let me just unpack all of these these things because I think the people who are absorbing some of these conversations are really keen to understand, you know, what the entrepreneurs themselves say. Number one, tenacity. Um, I think everyone would agree that's the case, but it's very interesting that you contextualize that um, with some of the family history that you had, and that gives you a grounding. It kind of allows you to understand, you know what, you need to zoom out of your problems sometimes. And let's just contextualize it properly and understand that whatever it is you're doing, there's people in my direct lineage that have got far, far worse, like exponentially the other way. So it's not to say that your problems are insignificant. It's just to say that, you know what, in the grand scheme of things, it's not the biggest thing that could happen. And in fact, tomorrow's another day in your life. You can get on with this. Do you think that without that, adversity in the background um it may actually weaken someone's tenacity so in other words if, if they didn't have that adversity either as a person or with their media family where there's an example do you reckon that that can sometimes be damaging for someone because they you know a small problem becomes actually the problem and they can't move on um what are your thoughts I, I I wouldn't like to generalize. Like again everyone is different I think you have examples of great entrepreneurs who come from um, families that didn't have any issues and you've got entrepreneurs who, who come from very different backgrounds. So I don't think I, I, I would uh, I would say that, but I think I would say that it's important to always ask yourself, okay, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah, and if you're not gonna die or you're not gonna get sick, you know, it's okay. Uh, as long as you feel at peace with yourself and with, with, with the friends you have and with the people around you, it's okay. Um, you know, you don't need a, you know, a big house. You don't need a, yeah, like you can forgo, in fact, a lot of things in life. Um, and I think it's important to never forget that. And I think it helped me a lot along my journey. Um, you know, maybe the fact that I have, you know, this family history helped me, but I don't think it's a, it's a critical piece. I think uh, you can learn to de-zoom, as you say, without having that uh, that that background basically yeah you can train you can train resilience for sure um and it may be something it'd be interesting to know whether leaders or people in hr ever think about doing that like we all talk about hey we need resilience uh okay have you got a training plan for that um you know do you know how to create the confidence in the person to be able to get over problems quickly um or not be you know completely paralyzed by an unexpected blockage like sometimes you get a problem and you know what yes is a problem but you kind of sit there and just think about the problem there's there's other ways in which you can get around it get through it you know what is the method yeah um, and, and that's what the leader needs to do with his team right and it happens sometimes in uh, in my team as well they come to me and they say okay it's a catastrophe like we have this huge issue and yes it's an issue but you're like okay you know take it easy uh, it, has, it has happened 10 times before with hundreds of different people and, you know, we can solve that, you know, don't worry and, and let's work through it together. Um, and uh, yeah, it's having that, uh, as you say, that, that reflex of adjusting your brain and your perspective to not take things maybe so, sometimes too personally and remove yourself from the situation and, uh, you know, just to say, you know what, it's okay, you know. Again, I'm always, what's the, what's the worst that can happen to you? Do, do you know, Do you know? I've got a technique for this. I'm not sure anybody else shares this idea. And it's not my idea. I read it somewhere, right? Um, but I think the value of like failing often um, is exactly this. Because every time you fail, you kind of learn a lesson. It wasn't that big a deal that you thought it was. Um, I mean, yes, you don't want to deliberately fail. Um, you want to put full effort to succeed. But if you experiment enough times, inevitably you will fail. Um, and each time it's a little bit of a blow and then you think, okay, it's, 
it's a blow, but it's not devastating. Um, and you can move on real quick. And, and that's kind of the yeah. help we really do it. 100%. Yeah. 100%. And that's what I think we try to also tell to our kids, right? Um, we'll never be angry at you because you you failed. We'll be angry at you because you didn't try. Just try it. Um, and and that's obviously, you know, how, how you learn and, and you get back up. And you also get used to to take hits. And you feel like it's okay. I can I can take it, uh, and I can yeah. get back up. I can learn from it. The, the key though is to learn from it, right? You want to take the same hit <laughs> ten times in a row because if you don't learn from it, then then I'll, I'll question you. But if it's a it's a first time hit, it, it, it's okay. Just make sure you get back up. You learn, you adapt, and and, and you continue in life. Yeah, um, and, and it's like that with everything. It applies to to work, but it again it applies to personal life as well. It applies 100%. to you know, for the, the, the single people who are listening to us with, you know, going out to a person that you feel attracted to, it's okay. You know, worst case, they'll say no, but at least you know, and you'll move to the other one. And next time you do it, you'll be much more confident and you'll be able to, you know, maybe convert better. <laughs> Folks, this is why I love Founders Focus, man. Like, would you ever expect you're getting love and dating advice from a tech CEO? But here we are. Here, uh, David just laid it on you, man. It's laid it on you. Uh, this is great, but it's exactly that. It's understanding that there's a risk, um, the, but, the, but the risk always feels bigger um, than it really is. Um, and, I mean, mo most of the time we're talking about, um, most of the things that we do in our day-to-day, -day, in our work, in our, in our personal life, the risks are actually a lot smaller than we think. Um, and the reward is usually a lot bigger than we think. So, um, you know, go ahead and, and do this. Um, skipping to the, side, the, the third thing you said, David, you mentioned that building relationships, being around with people is really important for you. You genuinely, you know, you're not faking it. You genuinely want to be around these folks. But then you've identified that from that sort of behavior, it's actually strengthened the relationships with the team. And you believe there's a there's a collective resilience as a result of um, your interest in them. Um, now, would you say that this is due to just your natural kind of uh, uh, nature, your, your, your behavior? Or do you think that, you know, there's other CEOs that won't, help, won't do this naturally? Um, do you feel that this is something like leaders need to develop? Um, like how important a component is it uh, to, you know, build these relationships with team? Both. Like, I think it's both. Uh, I think obviously, you know, for me, I think it comes relatively naturally. Um, I enjoy being around people. I enjoy helping them solve their problems. And actually, I I actually am not afraid to to do the problem solving for them sometimes, which can be good or bad, by the way, because obviously you want to learn people to fish and you want to fish for them. But I'm a doer, and you know sometimes I have you know one on ones with my sales team, and they they're like, oh, I couldn't reach that person. I just pick up my phone, dial the number, and just get the person on the phone and and unlock the situation for them. Um, so, but it's something I think you can definitely learn. Uh, if you know that it's important as a leader to do and that it has an impact on your team, you can, again, you know, get techniques to kind of get used to, you know, train yourself to do it. Obviously, if you enjoy doing it, it's, it's better because, again, it's more authentic and people will feel it. Uh, but I'm sure that, you know, if it doesn't come naturally, it's something that you can definitely uh, develop and do. And once once you see that it kind of results in, positive for the team, I think you'll you'll start enjoying doing it as well. Yeah, excellent. Uh, David, no person's perfect. Now, we need to ask you the, the, the area of like being a leader that you feel you're not particularly good at. Um, two questions related to this. Number one, what is that thing? Um, and number two, how do you as a business operator deal with that? Um, do you try to get better at this? Or do you, you know, avoid doing that activity and get someone else to do it? Like, um, uh, what's the policy? So what is the thing and what is your policy? Um, I guess it's always like the other side of the coin of, of what you do well, you know. So when I said, you know, I'm, I like to do stuff, I'm a doer. Sometimes, you know, I should, uh, you know, restrain myself from doing stuff and, and basically spend more time kind of putting processes uh, in place uh, to enable people to do stuff. And obviously, I'm trying to, to do that as much as I can because I'm very aware that, that sometimes, uh, you know, I, 
I jumped too quickly, too fast. <laughs> so that's yeah. definitely, um, mm -hmm. that's definitely um, probably one piece of it. Um, and, uh, you know, there's the other aspect about the, the tenacity, which is like, sometimes you need to fail fast. Um, but as I don't like to fail, I keep on going sometimes maybe for too long and I should probably accept to, you know, turn around more quickly and accept that it's a failure. Okay. Really, really important question. That one, um, because there's a great deal of entrepreneurship that is fail. They take too long to figure it out. And this is typically first time entrepreneur. They're spending a long time doing this thing. And then, you know, year go by, two years go by, they're still doing it. And you know, the cash burn is, is, is bad. Uh, you know that the, the, the morale is down, etc. That's not where you want to be. So how do you deal with it? Do you just put a hard deadline to say, you know what, I'm like an irrational deadline that's unrelated to the work. You say, right, six months, just make it up. Um, and then yeah, that helps a lot. Um, I mean, we went through the situation, you know, when we founded Path Motion. Let's be honest; like we had the first product, which was actually quite different from uh, what we have today. And uh, we spent like a year and a half building it. Um, very complicated product. It was a B two C product, actually, where essentially candidates could be matched to like minded people. Okay. And, uh, you know, we took a year and a half to build it. We involved uh, people in positive psychology. I mean, we did a whole machine, a whole engine. And then we launched and we're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, no one cares. <laughs> um, so I think we've, we've learned a lot from that. And, you know, there's a lot of literature today on MVP and how you do that. Uh, at, at the time, and it's quite, I mean, it's that dates from you know, 2012, 2013, 2013, we were really kind of in a really bad spot. Went from 10 people to two in the team. We were like literally, you know, out of cash. And um, I remember telling uh, my CTO at the time, listen, um, don't develop anything. I'm going to go and I'm going to sell this new concept. If I don't, if I don't come back with two clients uh, in the next I actually, we we only had like three, three months left, I think, you know, this is it. It's the end of the story. And so I went out uh, pitching what is now Employee Connections of, of Path Motion. At the time, I pitched a Facebook app where basically people could talk to employees, but we're using the, the, the Facebook kind of uh, uh, text functionality. So it wasn't our own. And I was very lucky to land three clients. Uh, it was DNHS Arriva, the, the, the buses, which is part of uh, Deutsche Bank. So you see them a lot in, in the UK and, uh, and KPMG. Um, and I came back to my CTO saying, okay, I've got three clients for you. It was all on, based on PowerPoint. We hadn't developed one line of code. So we went from one exceed to the other. Uh, and that's how we kind of uh, got going. Wow, that's so, a really interesting yeah. story. Um, uh, again, I didn't know this. So basically, you spent a year and a half basically R&Ding this thing, building the full thing, et cetera, et cetera, threw it out there, landed like a da damn squid. No one cared about it, understood yeah. it, et cetera. But don't forget, I, I, had a, I had a consulting background and, and my co-founder as well. So we had like 120 pages deck on the whole strategy and product features it was ridiculous um and then yeah and then we developed it and exactly we we went nowhere basically you know that's really interesting because obviously consulting is hugely important hugely valuable but it may be a different thing like inherently different from this radical experimentation which tech startup is because you've got to contact the market sooner um you, in fact you've got to do that first before you build anything right so rather than you know -build. The... that would be my biggest advice co-build like find a problem uh, expose your problem as soon as you can and get get your client to pay for it if you're doing b2b obviously if you're doing b2c it's a bit more complicated um but uh yeah that would be like my big advice for anyone wanting to do tech b2b basically let's reiterate that because i think that's perfect co-build was what david said and, and that means co-build with the customer 
Um, so you're not building it and then selling it to the customer. You're exposing the problem early, trying to figure out whether this is an issue and saying to the customer, we can build this for you, but we can do it off your roadmap because they've got their own roadmap. They're not going to throw new things into it. It's already whatever. You need to be off. It's, it's actually perfect for a third party to do it. And they may just give you some investment to get you started on that. Um, that actually was the what I, I would say. You remember when we first met, I, I was running a tech startup also, uh, Workshape. Um, probably my biggest error, one of my biggest errors was actually not adopting the co-build strategy because we had a really good conversation with um, a customer. I think it was um, uh, Marks and Spencer at the time. Big organization were wowed with the idea. Whoa, 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 it's amazing. Let's go build it. And I said, no, nah, I want to build a marketplace. <laughs> and obviously, it's the like hardest thing ever, right? But now looking back, obviously, with benefit of hindsight, I said, you know what? I should have taken 30K from them or however much it was, built this thing out. Um, and then from there, um, had case study, customer, et cetera, et cetera. And then just given the team generally more confidence to be able to push further forward. So, uh, so yeah, that's a fantastic story. And the, the concept that you can kind of convert based on a presentation and idea, and then some sort of, um, some sort of, uh, uh, capability, um, and people might take a risk for you. So that's a really interesting piece of advice. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, and but you need to be very pushy to be able to do that. Uh, I remember meeting those people at conferences, and I wouldn't, I just would follow them until they agreed to meet me. And then when they met me, I was like, This is happening. You need to do it. Sign, please sign. Yeah, that's it. Really interesting. And then that, that I think is uh, that tenaciousness is something that is unusual, and that may separate. Um, a, a great percentage of people maybe successful at sales or successful at investment or raising or what have you or just closing deals like you need to push through um the, the, the natural resistance that people have for whatever it might be so uh, that i think is an underrated quality um okay uh, moving forward uh, david you're french you built pathmos i'm belgian are you Belgian? Oh my God, I've just offended you massively. Um, no, it's okay. My wife is French. My kids are French. I live in France. So I guess I'm French to some extent as well. Do the people in France, uh, do you speak with a French accent or is there is there any difference between a Belgian accent? I, in... No, I kind of lost my Belgian accent, I think. But people can maybe hear there's something very subtle, but they usually struggle to identify yeah. it. So you can passably walk in Paris and no one's going to know, right? You're exactly. actually a Belgian. Um, no. Um, so but building the business in France, entrepreneurship in France, recruitment tech startup in France, how was that as an experience? How did it compare? Because I know you've got UK experience. You're obviously doing international stuff now with uh, the wider group. Um, how does it sort of um, compare regionally, different countries, building businesses? What are the pros and cons? I think that France is completely underrated and i'm saying that as a belgian right so <laughs> it's very important to say like i'm not chauvinistic about french people i i was grown up to more hate them than love them but honestly there's an amazing ecosystem in this country there is a lot of help you just need to be able to know how to navigate it people think that you know France is too expensive and too cumbersome. But if you know how to navigate it, there's a lot of aids. There's a great ecosystem. The, the French market is quite um, sophisticated to some extent. So we're having a lot of success, uh, you know, with employee connections in the French market. Um, sometimes even a bit more than, than the UK. I think in the UK, there's probably more competition, uh, which might explain the this as well but uh, you know a lot of people were telling us you're never gonna sell employee connections or what used to be called bad motion into the french market you know they're gonna be afraid to speak to candidates publicly um it's very sensitive uh, and at the end of the day you know we we had really fantastic success we, and, and we have success with even with the public uh, market so we have the we have the french army the marines uh the the Education Nationale, so those are basically the teachers and the schools, um, the firefighters. So even the public sector is like a very kind of uh, keen in innovating and uh, and being at the forefront of what happens in, uh, in, in TA. So it's quite interesting to see that, uh, yeah, perception didn't match reality, at least uh, that's what I found. 
that's really interesting and we're starting to see great startups coming out of of uh, uh french-speaking world which is great to see um and i think a large part of it is absolutely this that the, 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 there's a reality to some stereotypes but sometimes the, none of those stereotypes are ever overwhelming um and if you have the right recipe in terms of the people on the ground or, or, or the right uh, sort of uh, really the right people i think um you've got the great opportunity of busting through so um yeah and amazing it. tech talent as well in france uh, oh, yeah. actually there's a lot of uh, even us companies facebook has a as an R&D center here. Obviously, you've got great engineering schools uh, in France with the fantastic uh, tech talent uh, coming out of it. Yep, absolutely. And uh, and and it's, it's usually undertapped. So, um, so yeah, I think, and uh, again, my knowledge of French uh, policy is, is obviously weak, um, but I, 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 I seem to be aware, even in the UK, that, you know, there's some uh, uh, attempts uh, to try and really encourage digital skills coming into France. Um, so, so there's a movement there, which is, which is great to see. So fantastic stuff. Um, let's talk about the wider market. Um, David, um, obviously the world has been crazy, crazy, crazy times last two, three years. I think no one, no one is like, you know, having a, a calm, uh, had a calm sailing over the, the, <laughs> the last three years or so. Um, 2023, obviously, again, we have these weird scenario. Start of the year, we were thinking, hey, this is going to be great. Uh, you know, all of these people are now coming out of pandemic. We're spend tons of money. It's going to be roaring 20s again. Um, of course, we have a massive reset uh, with uh, uh, the Russia invasion of Ukraine, which then cascaded into, you know, huge sanctions coming in, cost of living crisis, uh, VC valuations going down, everyone thinking, oh my goodness, what's happening here? So looking into the future, where do you see the market generally and how does that affect um, the recruitment technology space in particular? So I think it's uh, fair to say that, uh, you know, we're going either for soft landing or for a session, probably a session in the UK, right? And maybe soft landing or, you know, it's going to be close to a session in, uh, in Central Europe. But that being said, um, the pressure on talent is still kind of uh, extremely high. So there's such a gap be between the talent uh, available and what is needed that I think we would need to go through a deep recession in order to be able to balance that. So I think the need for talent attraction uh, is going to stay there. I think there's going to be pressure on talent attraction team to work more efficiently uh and uh, you know they always ask to do more with less and that's obviously where technology comes into play uh and well you know obviously we encourage a lot of the ta teams to adopt kind of uh, innovative technology because in fact you realize that with technology you can become so much more efficient and you can do so much more uh, without having to have more people on board um whatever technology it is obviously we we'll, we encourage people to use uh, to use clinch but uh, i think there's there's a, a number of technologies available today that can solve a lot of the problems uh, and the operational efficiencies that some of the ta teams are are, are having uh, without having to add more people uh, to the team so yeah my take is that uh, pressure on attracting candidates will stay up uh, and that the recruiters and TA teams will have to become smarter and more efficient at, at how they, they work, basically, to attract yeah. as many people with, you know, a smaller team. And actually, it's funny because we speak to a lot to TA teams and um, they even struggle themselves to basically fill their own teams. Um, and one of the big criteria for candidates entering the, you know, TA space is also kind of looking at the tools and the tech stack that you have available uh, to make sure they get into an environment that's innovative and also, you know, the products that are being used internally. Yeah, very, very interesting. Do you see that survey I conducted last year where I asked a question to people like, what is your deterrent ATS? Um, so exactly, <laughs> exactly this question. So, so there was two questions. It was number one, it was, um, uh, if you could choose one ATS, what would it be? Not a free text entry, so there's no prejudice uh, that you just input it. Um, and then the second follow-up question was, okay, uh, if you found you had to use it, an ATS, which is the product that would cause you to say no to the job? Um, and then again, free, free text input. And that data is available. So if you want to check that out and see what, yeah. what that looks like, it's right this over This is not the place um, to... 
to badmouth anyone. It's not the place to badmouth anyone. Although I can say um, the mother company, if you like, PageUp actually ranked very highly in that uh, in, in the space. Um, it wasn't the most popularly nominated either way, but it was overwhelmingly more popular than negative. Um, in fact, I don't think there were any negatives. Uh, negatives are obviously the big the big companies, um, you know, because I think those products uh, are never been optimized for our function. Um, and they're, they're always just a module of a bigger uh, ERP type solution, and we just got to roll with what it is. So inevitably, it's going to be worse. Um, okay, really interesting, David. Um, let's talk about sort of the product. Um, big change today, obviously, with the rebrand. Uh, but in terms of the technical stuff that needs to happen, uh, and what people might, uh, customers might experience from um, em uh, employee engage, right? How how are and they big connections? employee connections how are they going to experience the product in 2023 what kind of product innovations do you have down the pipeline for for, for, for customers so definitely there's a big piece in obviously um, integrating the two products uh, that's going to be super interesting and that uh, is going to in itself kind of add a lot of value and pre-connection is still going to be like uh, you know agnostic and can integrate into any career website uh, but obviously with the clinch integration, the idea is to make sure that we basically connect the data to understand what candidates do and what they want to know. And then that we use the content created on employee connections to dispatch it to the right people at the right time to better convert. Um, so that's kind of, you know, one big piece that and the vision that we are seeing for moving uh, uh, forward uh, jointly. Uh, but uh, independently, employee connections also has a, its own roadmap uh, and lots of innovations coming out. We're just uh, about to release kind of a video into our you know virtual events. Uh, there's a big there's a big push on on video across the platform, making it easier for people to kind of record videos and then share it, and then obviously optimize it for SEO and and wider sharing. But at the end of the day, it's all about also understanding the data better. We already have kind of machine learning embedded into the platform to really understand the topics of discussions. So we do it automatically. So we recognize the meaning of the discussions, categorize it um, for people. So it makes a better candidate browsing behavior, but also gives a lot of insights to our clients of what matters to candidates. Um, and we want to take it basically to the to the to the next level uh, in terms of really uh, being able to then send content um, you know to the people based on the questions they've asked based on the profiles they view and based on their browsing behavior yeah very very cool very interesting and you, by the way very exciting to see the you know, increased push on rich media and, and video it, it's very interesting to see again from the consumer level how we are moving away from text more and more um i mean did you did you see that report? I, I forget who it was, but it was um, someone who basically said, look, um, you know, Gen Z are now using TikTok as the primary search device rather than Google. And obviously there's a reason for that. Number one, uh, Google is still a desktop-based text text inputter, whereas um, uh, TikTok is mobile-based and is video input. And and most of and the, well, the sort of content people want to consume, the easier content is a video someone telling them this is how it is rather than as you say text which needs to be passed and interpreted in your mind and cognitive load is too high and it's yeah. like okay what's going on um so completely agree with that but i would put a small caveat because text is still important especially because especially you know when you look at organizations and employees being you know brand ambassadors they're not always all comfortable doing videos you need to still kind of offer that opportunity for people to answer questions by text Doing a video takes a bit more effort. Uh, and what's also very interesting to note is that the type of things you say on a video versus text is sometimes not exactly the same. So when people are behind text, sometimes they are more comfortable sharing, you know, stuff that they wouldn't buy video. So I would argue they both work nicely together. Yeah, very, very interesting insight. And and you're right. Um, video is still um, uh, kind of, uh, the, the, there is a group that basically, again, down to personality. Certain types of people are very, very performative and they're happy to be on video or maybe to perceive video as a nature of performance. Um, and other people are, are quite reticent. Uh, I've noticed this doing Brain Food Lives and stuff like this where, you know, some people 
do take a lot of encouragement. Um, whereas others, yeah, say, bring me on. I'm happy to chat. So it's, it's interesting to see how that then might turn into a, a character trait that maybe companies will actively recruit for in some way, because probably you will want individuals in future to be very fluent with, you know, rich media communication, take it to the next level virtual reality, let's say in the metaverse, like you need to have people skilled in the metaverse at some point, if it ever happens. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm basically reminded of, um, uh, you know, back in the day, telephone era, I think you and I probably kind of traveling similar age groups, David, um, there were people who were great on telephone that never made it to the internet, I felt. Um, because their primary way of doing business or doing work was through the phone. And when slowly the phone moved to email, the, the, the communication was actually more on keyboard and stuff like that, they basically didn't acquire the same level of competence on the new thing. And I think they got left behind. Um, so 100%. And I think today you need to be extremely tech savvy, whatever job you do, right? Even, a, you know, not even actually, it's quite critical as a salesperson, right? Today, if you look at the number of tools that even we are using, uh, we're not like the largest company, right? It's, it's just crazy. You have a tool, uh, you know, to to find people, uh, emails, addresses, you have another tool, tool to connect it to your CRM, you have another tool to do kind of uh, outreach, and you need to be super tech savvy, in fact, to be fluid at using that. And uh, we see it in our teams, like uh, the, the, you know, the more tech savvy you are, the more you, ca you can actually do in terms of volume of activity and hence get, you know, more meetings and more clients. Um, and that's just on sales, but it's applicable, obviously, in marketing and any other function as well. So I, I totally agree with you that uh, you need to constantly educate yourself and uh, force yourself, even if it doesn't come naturally, to use the latest kind of tech stack, whether it's in recruiting, in sales, marketing, um, to be able to keep up uh, with our times. There's no doubt about that. I mean, this year has been the year of generative AI, as I mentioned right at the beginning. Um, and I think that recruiters kind of need to just be early adopting in this stuff. Because um, you, you you will know that someone who's able to use, let's say, um, a, a text generator, um, they're going to be able to write blog copy faster than someone who doesn't do that. Um, and then they can be a content machine. Uh, someone who can do uh, use generative AI for images, suddenly you don't have to spend time searching on Google for images. You can just create them um, that are, you know, uh, basically free from IP, free from whatever. You can just go ahead, use them, put your brand on them, boom. That's recruitment marketing stuff that would take time. You know, you'd otherwise have to send that to your design team. So um, there's going to be, um, I think your vision of what the, the next year or so is like, I think I would 100% agree with. Uh, demand for recruiting is going to be high, but demand for recruiters will probably be leveled off in terms of numbers of people. We're just going to be asked to do more with less. Uh, and the only way we can do that is to use technology and automation to basically get highly skilled. Um, the, the, the image that I have is basically, um, you know, in, in future so Air, Air Force fighter pilots, you know, it's, it's going to be a case where uh, as a piloted plane, but they're surrounded by drones that can, you know, that like the, the call, it's called automated wingman, you know, without wanting to use, uh, you know, military metaphor unnecessarily. But I, I see recruiters being that person. It's like you're the pilot of a machine, but you also need to have these automated wingmen that can just make you a significantly higher and more impactful person. And that's the, the, the way to keep your skills intact and to be uh, a sort of uh, uh, marketable in any market. Um, David, we're coming to the end of, of the show. So let me just ask you one more question for the budding entrepreneurs that might be listening to this now or in future. Um, what is your one piece of advice that you could give to someone who's thinking of starting their own business? Um, a piece of advice that, you know, you think is important uh, and real uh, for them to know. Don't wait. Start um, as quickly as you can. And um feel free to do it in parallel of whatever you're doing. Um, so you don't need to make the big jump straight away. If there's something that you're passionate about uh, and that you feel has some legs, you know, you can, you can, today you can do a lot um, without having to commit to it fully. So I would say, you know, just go and talk to people, start testing the waters, start even developing. And if you feel there's, you know, some next to it, then, then make the jump. 
Yeah, that co build, do it and don't wait, by the way. That's key because most people are waiting for the perfect time. I, I believe it's similar to having There's a no family or whatever. Yeah, it's it always going to be time. inconvenient. It's so if you sit exactly. there and wait and wait and wait, years will just go by. Just do it because it's never going to be convenient. It, it's similar to DIY, you know, paint your damn fence because uh, there's never going to be a weekend where it's going to yeah. be perfect. Um, you just got to go do it. Okay, David, come to the end of the show. What busy CEOing or leadership things that you've got to do for the end of the day? What's happening after this uh, after this call for you, David? Oh, I'm, I'll probably get a few phone calls from the team to help them uh, uh, unlock some situations. Uh, but uh, other than that, yeah, I've got a few uh, a few external meetings planned and a client success um, team meeting today with the UK. Amazing! So, all exciting stuff. <laughs> Amazing stuff. Uh, David Ravel, thank you so much for uh, joining us on Founders Focus. David Ravel, the, uh, what is your new title now? It is the GM Head or something, of I guess? Head of Clinch Europe. Head of Clinch Europe. Folks, go check it out. It's going to be, it's an amazing product that's going to stitch together a lot of the elements that we want to do. Uh, candidates generally want to speak or hear from employees. Uh, this product is going to enable them to do that. Uh, David, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Hang. Pleasure. Wasn't that great, folks? I told you, it's my favorite thing to do for work. Um, it is speaking to recruitment technology founders um, and having these types of conversations. I learned so much from these, these, these conversations. Um, I hope you do too. Um, and again, really important that David mentioned, you know, it is not about evangelis evangelism about entrepreneurship. It's not the right decision for everybody. Um, but if you do have an idea baking away and you think, you know what, I want to do this, um, these are the types of conversations I think can really help uh, you uh, you move, for, move it further forward. So uh, fantastic to see that. We'll be back next week. We've got another Founders Focus to finish off the year. Uh, this is with Christian Payne, founder of Talantia. Uh, we'll be back on Friday, um, Breakthrough Lab on air, where we'll be talking about the psychology of recruitment redundancy. Um, so in other words, if you're a recruiter that has been made redundant, tons of practical help out there, but what is going on in terms of psychological help? What is the journey that you can expect to experience at that level? We've got some psychology help uh, for, for you on Friday, so make sure you join us for that. Okay, thanks for watching, everybody.